Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. You know, I was thinking as I was coming to church this morning, actually over the week I've had just this week above like any other week, I've had the great joy of fellowshipping with, with a several of you and uh, other people that I have met, uh, if not only by phone, just talking. A great time of fellowship and, and encouragement. Uh, I find, as I think, and I've spoken about this before, and I'm reminded of it, so I write this again. You know, it's so important for us to fellowship together. Amen? It really is. It really is. You know, God never intended for you to be the Lone Ranger. You know, it's a beautiful thing. He establishes church with great purpose. And I find myself, being the pastor and all, I'm here to encourage you. But you know, I need encouragement too. I said, I need encouragement too. And I'm so glad to say that just what works for you or can work for you works for me as well. Fellowship is good for me. I enjoy fellowship. I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy getting that phone call. I enjoy getting that email, that text where I get a chance to just converse with you. Why? Because I find great encouragement in all of you. It's no wonder the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10 and 25 that we should never get up meeting, uh, give up a meeting together for the purpose of encouraging each other. Some of us don't call anybody. We need to start calling people and just touching base with them and say, hey, how you doing? And you'll find that maybe they're going through a tough time, but it's a great opportunity for you to speak words of life into the lives of those around you. It's great to meet together. Again, I say all the reason the Lord just put this body together because he knew several things that we would need. He, he knew that just walking with God alone would be a lonely situation. He knows that you and I cannot do it alone. We need each other. Secondly, he doesn't want us to walk alone. He doesn't want us to go through life struggles and even blessings alone. He wants us to go through it together. Where else can you go in this world that we're living in today? to find encouragement and uplifting and, and words that can encourage you to keep going just another day, if not with those of like faith. Amen? If not with those who, who know Jesus and might remind you of something that may have slipped from your mind that you needed to hear at that moment just for your encouragement. You see, it's important for us to come together. There are very spiritual things and good things that happen when we come together. Did you know that the Bible tells us that when we come together, God shows up? Amen? I know I'm paraphrasing, but let me read this to you out of Matthew 18 and 20. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. So there is no doubt in my heart that Jesus, His Holy Spirit, is in this place today. Can you say amen? Can we welcome him? Can you put your hands together and say, Jesus, you are welcome in this place. But this happens because of his sovereign will, obviously. He decided to inhabit the praises and the fellowship of his people. But also, as far as it comes to us, we can make this happen as we come together in like faith. So it's important we should never give this up. There are people today, possibly at home, who can't come out to church. 
But there are some people, and I'll say this, and you want to get all hurt, that's fine. But there are some people who just don't like to come to church. Oh, that's a good place to say amen. Because you're here, you get it? But there are some people that don't like to come to church. They don't. And there are some people that have the attitude. Now, I'm not knocking them. I'm trying to encourage them. There are some people that say, I don't need anybody. Yes, you do. That's why you're walking that half-baked walk with God. That's why you're lonely at night and you weep alone hopelessly. Because you won't commit to the great things that God has bestowed upon us as we come together. You see, when we come together, Jesus shows up. We have had worship services, and you know about this, where we begin to worship, and we worship and worship, and it seems like there's such a hunger in the hearts of God's people that you don't even give me a chance to preach. Jesus just shows up. Amen? We just have worship service on Sunday morning sometimes. Don't worry, it doesn't offend me. When the king comes in, I'm just one of the helpers around. He can do whatever he wants. He is my savior and my God, my king of glory. So I say, Jesus, whenever you want, this is your church, your place. You want to come and interrupt this whole thing with your glory? My father, I move aside. And it happens when we worship sometimes. Why? Because our hearts are unified in hunger after him. You see, prayers are answered when we come together. Isn't that important to some people here? How many believe that it's important to have answered prayer? One of the greatest discouragements in lives of people is thinking that their prayers go unheard and unanswered. Well, I've been praying over this a thousand years and God hasn't done a thing. Discouragement. We lie. You see, the best kind of prayer is answered prayer. And so you do everything on your own to try to get that answered prayer through fasting and prayer. But you know what? Something else we can do is we can come together. See, the Bible says, again, I'm paraphrasing, but let me read it to you. Matthew 18 and 19, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Does anybody have a need? Lift up your hand. This is why we say, if you have a need, let's pray together. If any one or two agree, and there's more than two of us. You see, when we agree, we come together, God responds to the prayers of his people. And thirdly, we are encouraged with each other. 1 Thessalonians 3 and 7 says, Therefore, brothers, in all of our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you. You know, it encourages me, ladies and gentlemen, when I see you all still on fire for God. Not too long ago, I was walking through one of the stores here in town. I believe we were grocery shopping, and I, I saw an old friend that I knew from church a long time ago. And I saw him, and he kind of turned his face and didn't want to acknowledge me too much. And I I saw him again, and, you know, you, 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 you go up and you go down in these grocery stores. And so unless you leave the store immediately, then you'll miss somebody. But otherwise, you're going to catch him in the dairy department. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sooner or later, you go to vegetables. Everybody goes to vegetables. You know, you'll go find them tortillas and then refried beans. Everybody's going to go there. And so I, I didn't think too much about it, but I kept going. And soon enough, I kept it's the same aisle, and we're facing each other at a distance. And now the choice for him, not for me, I had nothing to hide. For him was, do I go down the aisle because there's only one thing's going to happen. 
we're going to meet. And so he kept walking. And he came and I said, hey, man. He goes, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? This and the other. We started conversing just a little bit. And ultimately, it's always important for me not to nitpick, but to find out where you're at. Because I knew him on fire for God. And finally, he says, you know, it's been a while, man. I need to be honest with you. I haven't gone to church. And, you know, some stuff happened and this and the other and whatever. And so I took time right there to, to fellowship with him and, and just love on him and encourage him and tell him what God had done in my life. He hadn't seen me since all of this stuff that I've been through. And I began to tell him. He said, you know what, man? You, you really encouraged me. Are you still at Rock of Ages? I said, yeah, I've been there for 27 years, man. He goes, I'm going to go and see you. I said, I need to come back to God. I said, yes, you do. I said, I hope I can encourage you to do so. He goes, yeah, man. Well, one thing you do is encourage me. You've always encouraged me. You see, and I think about us coming together. How important it is for us to be encouraged, not only as we speak to each other, by seeing each other still remain in God. This is what Paul is saying. He said, in all of our distress and persecution, we're encouraged about you because of your faith. Every Sunday, I just told the sister this morning, I said, sister, I hadn't seen you a little bit. And, you know, it's so good to see you. I'm encouraged that you're still here. I'm encouraged that you're still walking with God. I'm encouraged. It's so awesome to have a friend move away from the city or state, and then you run into them a few years later, and you say, how you doing, man? I'm serving the Lord, still on fire. And it's encouraging to know that people still have a sense of tenacity when it comes to walking with God. Verse 9 in the same passage says, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Turn around and tell your neighbor, you make me happy. Tell him like you mean it, even if it's your husband. <laughs> tell him, you make me happy. Now tell your wife, you make me happy. And don't bite your lip. <laughs> I just read this on, uh, on Instagram the other day. He says, why do men stay in their cars a few minutes when they get home? To prepare for the stress. Not just, <laughs> I was doing so good, right? I'm sorry. But we need each other. We can encourage each other. I need encouragement from you. I need you. And I hope that you need me. Every time I get a chance to step behind this pulpit, and it's been a few years now, I do everything I can to tell you, you know what? It's worth serving Jesus. It's worth serving Jesus. And today, in spite of everything that's happening politically, everything that's happening overseas, everything that's happening in our economy, everything that's happening in the White House, everything that's going on politically around us, and all the junk that you hear, all the distortion, Jesus is still worthy of his praise. Jesus is still worthy to be served. And we are here this morning to encourage each other to build ourselves up okay let me get to my sermon now the anchor that holds i guess that's what i'm trying to say we need to encourage ourselves to always know that jesus in spite again of the troubles we're facing he is always that one god and only god that we can hang to and we will never be shaken it was the psalmist who recited, saying, even though the mountains be shaken and moved, 
even if the sea's waves curl against me, we shall not be moved. Why? Because Jesus is the anchor that is solid and we hold us steadfast. Paul the Apostle was one that knew about the Lord being his anchor. Every boat needs an anchor. Every boat needs a ring to fasten itself to the dock. If there is nothing to hold that boat to the dock, the tide will come and gently or quickly, depending on how it's running, it will make that boat go off into sea. They're all end up at sea. That's where all the major waves and currents go, all the way out to sea. And so every ship, every boat needs a ring, needs an anchor to hang on to, to be able to be steadfast. And Paul knew about the anchor in Christ. Just to read a little passage to kind of set our platform this morning for the next few minutes. We will read out of Acts chapter 27. And I won't read too much of it. You should read the whole chapter. It speaks of this whole experience in Paul's life. Let's just read from verse 21, if you will. Acts 27, 21. And then I'll just paraphrase and let you know and bring you up to speed. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, who as I am and I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand a trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, Paul said, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground. I don't want to read anymore for the sake of time, but let me just bring you a little bit up to speed. This was the Apostle Paul's third missionary trip. And he had gone out to minister, and in this city he was in, he was accused, as, uh, as everywhere he was, he, he was accused of apostasy and being a troublemaker because he came preaching a different gospel than was preached in the synagogues of that day. He was accused of defiling the temple and allowing Gentiles because, you see, the faith that Paul preached was for everybody, not just for the elite. And so they accused him of defiling the temple because he brought Gentiles in to listen to this message of this Christ Jesus. And so the chief priest and the elder had taken an oath to not even eat until they saw Paul die. He was a troublemaker. They didn't want him in the city. So they thought of an idea and they said, you know what, let's take him to the Supreme Court. Let's ship him out of here and, and let Caesar deal with him. Surely Caesar will put him to death. And so they ship him out. And this is where we catch them, on their boat. But on their way to this place, we are told that a fierce storm uh, took place and the ship they were in was in great distress and uh, the hearts of those who were in that ship obviously became perturbed and, and were troubled. They began to complain. 
And so while everybody was in fear, Paul was in a different place even though he was on that ship. Even though everybody was already preparing their final words, possibly writing them on, so when they found them floating in the ocean or in the sea, uh, people would know what had happened. But Paul was in a different place, kind of like Jesus, when he told his men that they should go to the other side. You see, while that fierce storm came, Jesus was down taking a nap. And this was Paul, similarly as Christ was in that ship. He was in a different place. There was peace in his heart. While everybody was scrambling and trying to find out what they were going to do, they were throwing things over. They were putting out lifeboats and dinghies and what are we going to do and how are we going to do this? They were taking soundings to see how deep they were. They were panicking. Paul was in a different place in his heart. And so we catch him in this conversation with him as all the ruckus is going on. He said, men, relax. We're in trouble because we took off. But I've got news for you. I want to encourage you. We're going to be okay when this is over. And I believe that that message right there, we're going to be okay when this is over, is something our nation has to hear and the world has to hear. The world is kind of like those guys in that ship right now going everywhere and going crazy, losing their head. Now what? Now uh, we have all this terrorists and now we're receiving all these people and now the borders are open and now this and the other and now this and the other and everybody's going crazy and no one is shouting loud enough. It's going to be okay when this is over. It's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus is still at the right hand of the Father. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Don't try to handle this self with your own hands. Don't get so involved in your heart that you lose your equilibrium. It's going to be okay. See, Paul, in the middle of this wreckness, recklessness of the sea, he was sitting there calmly speaking to these guys to listen to him. And he gave them the reason why he was confident that he was going to be okay. He had an anchor he was holding on to. And today we need to hold on to those anchors that Paul was holding on to in this crazy ship we're riding in right now. Paul reveals one anchor, and the first anchor I want to encourage you to hold on to is the anchor of God's company. The anchor of God's company. The anchor of knowing that wherever you are at, you are in fellowship with Christ. Even in the midst of this raging storm, Paul found that he wasn't alone. The Lord was with him and ministered to him in the middle of the storm where everyone else was trying to find refuge, comfort, and hope. Paul was being comforted by the angel of the Lord. In the middle of the storm, ladies and gentlemen, whether you think it's impossible or not, in the middle of a raging hellish storm, you can be in heavenly company. In the middle of your trial, in the middle of the hospital, in the middle of this or the other, in the middle of 
Whatever is troubling you, you can still dwell in heavenly company. And Paul proves that. He shows that to him. He said, while everything is shaking, going up and down, the angel of the Lord began to minister to me. Last night, an angel of God, who was, uh, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me. The psalmist said, he walks alongside me like a mighty giant. Ne Jesus promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, during a storm, there's really nothing you can do to control that storm. There's really nothing you can do to change the situation that you're in. Storms normally come by surprise. You may have nothing to do with that particular storm you might be going through right now. It just comes in. I've got wonderful news that in spite of how troubling that storm you're facing even today might be, you can still dwell in heavenly company. Psalms 23 and 4, the psalmist writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? For you are with me. For you are with me. Matthew 28 and 20, the promise of the Lord says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In Hebrews 13 and 5, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Paul was in peace and we can be in peace today. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're going through something that's shaking your ship right now. We have petitions this morning to pray over sick people. One of the young people here that Text me all the time. We have such a good fellowship. Told me his grandpa was in the hospital and he was hurting. We want to pray for him today. You see, their ship is rocking. We're praying for another young man who had a terrible accident. We've been praying for him and he's recovering slowly. But right now, for that whole family, their ship is rocking. We have family members here in our church today that aren't here today because they got a little bit sick and they want to stay away because of the obvious. But their ship is rocking as well. We need to give them confidence by sharing our confidence in knowing that even in the midst of your darkest hour, you can dwell in heavenly light. You can dwell in heavenly company. Every step Every dark alley you might be in, every mountain that's too high for you to travel, every valley that seems so scary you don't want to go through, you can always go through these things in heavenly company. The Lord said, I will stand with you. Deuteronomy 23 and 14 reads as follows. It says, for the Lord your God moves about you in your camp. In your camp, in your surrounding that place where you dwell, the Lord will move around you, your camp to protect you and to deliver you from your enemies. Sometimes we can't sense the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we say, Lord, are you there? You know, we sang that song, and we have it in a while. Maybe DJ will bring it back. Remember that song, Waymaker? Isn't that a beautiful song? Uh, especially... I find 
very special to me because I know that we have found ourselves in this position and possibly you have found yourself in this position. You can't see him. You can't seem to sense him. But that song reminds us, even when I cannot see you, you are working. Even when I can't feel you, you are working. Even when I don't see things around changing and, and moving in my favor, I know that you're working. I know that your heavenly company is always with me. You know, we just don't know, ladies and gentlemen, how many times God has not been seen around you, yet he has protected you from the worst things that could have happened. Getting to church, you needed God's protection. And you got God's protection because you're sitting here in perfect health. You're sitting here enjoying this morning's worship. You're sitting here enjoying this morning's sermon. But just getting out of bed, you needed God's protection. And though you could not see him, he got you out of bed, got you dressed, got you in your car, and got you to church. Can you say amen this morning? That's right. Oh, there is an illustration I read years ago to you, uh, and it, it's, it just strikes a sensitive nerve in me and reveals how, again, how invisible God is sometimes to us, but it does not mean that he is not working and keeping us safe. This story goes saying it was Christmas Eve in 1875, and Ira Sankey was traveling on a Delaware River steamboat when he was recognized by some passengers. His picture had been in the newspaper because he was a song leader for the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. They asked him to sing one of his own hymns. He was a songwriter, obviously. But Sankey demurred as he hesitated, saying that he preferred to sing William B. Bradbury's hymn, Savior Like a Shepherd, Lead Us. That's the title of the hymn. And as he sang, one of the stanzas began by saying, We are thine. Do thou befriend us and be the guardian of our way. When he had finished singing that song, a man stepped out of a, the darkness. And he asked this man, he said, did you ever serve in the Union Army, sir? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered in the spring of 1860, he said. Can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlight night in 1862? And Mr. Sankey said, why, yes, I do remember. And he was very much surprised. And the man said, so did I. But I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, he was the enemy. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow will never get away alive. And so I raised my musket and I took aim and I was standing in the shadow completely concealed while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and you began to sing. And I said, let him sing his song to the end. I can shoot him afterwards. He is my victim at all events, and my bullet cannot and will not miss him. 
But the song you sang then was the song you just sang now. And I heard the words perfectly. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. And those words, the man said, stirred up many memories. As I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother, she had many times sung that song to me. And when you had finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought the Lord is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And instantly my arm dropped limp at my side. And I could do no more what I thought. You see, Mr. Sankey didn't even know he was on the crosshairs of the enemy. Didn't even know. But he was in heavenly company. He was in heavenly company. God protected him without even him knowing that his life could have been taken. Ladies and gentlemen, God is a protector to us. But you must remain in his company. Secondly, Paul expresses the anchor of God's word. The anchor of what God has spoken. Acts 24, or verse 27, verse 24 rather. He said, the angel said, the angel said, do not be afraid. But the key word in this short little passage is the word said. Everybody say said. Paul was weathering out the storm along with the rest. He never lost hope because he was in heavenly company, but also because he heard God say. He heard God's words he had God's word in his heart. Paul knew he would stand before Caesar. And it was going to be okay because God had spoken to him. Paul knew automatically that the storm he was in and however shaking that boat was, that storm would not be his end because God had said you see, Paul knew God had a plan for him. Having God's word was enough for Paul. And it should be enough for all of us, ladies and gentlemen. See, some of us forget God's word when our ship begins to rock. Whenever the doctor says, listen, you're sick. When the doctor says they're sick, they may not be well. When the employer says, listen, I'm cutting hours and I'm going to have to let you go. When you begin to suffer whatever it is that you might go through, you see, we forget God's word. That's the first thing that fear comes to attack is to absolutely make your mind absent of God's word. Listen to what God told Abraham in Romans 4 and 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said. You see, Abraham was told. Abraham heard the voice of God. Abraham had God's word in his heart. 
And if you continue reading in this passage, you'll find that it says that it was without weakening in his faith, even though he saw his body at a hundred years old. And even though he saw his wife beyond childbearing, her womb was dry. Nothing logically, physiologically uh, could help them to have a son. But he had one thing that will fertilize even dead ground. And that is God's word. You see, God's word will fertilize a desert, ladies and gentlemen. He makes rivers in the deserts. Amen? He will allow a true and full forest to grow in the middle of dry land because what he speaks prevails and fulfills what he said. Have you forgotten God's word? Maybe as you're going through your trouble right now, have you forgotten and you're thinking that this is pretty much it? Like the sailors in that boat with Paul? This is it, man. We're done. Like those sailors that cried out to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? We're going to drown here. Have you forgot God's word? When the Lord said, it will be well with the righteous, Paul had it in his heart. The Lord told him, listen, you're going to go through this. You're going to go and face Felix and Caesar. But this is not the end of you. I have a plan for your life. And some of us need to begin to believe God for his word and understand and know that you see the things that you faced, though you've thought many times, that was your end, but you're still here. I can be very honest with you and tell you that when I went through my liver disease and all this transplant thing, I might ask my family. I took time to sit down with them and give them instructions as to what was going to go on. I took time to speak with my board here at church and tell them exactly what I needed to see happen after I was gone. I was ready. And I blamed it on the fact that I am not afraid to die one bit ever. But in my mind, it w I was set. I said, hey, this is it. Uh, this, this is my last ride. This is my last rodeo, my last sermon. I just preached it a few weeks ago. My last sermon. I was in the hospital now in ICU. Now I could give my children via uh, computer, whatever you call that, FaceTime or whatever, instructions and say, hey, man, listen, it was a good ride. I hope I was a good dad. Honey, I hope I was a good husband. I hope I've done well. I've told several of my friends here, I said, man, I hope I was an okay pastor to you all. I hope that you saw how much I loved you. But I was planning as, as, as great as I may have sounded and, and how ready I was, I was still speaking death. I was still, in spite of all the nice things I may say about myself, and wow, you may say how brave Pastor was, ready to, I still had forgotten God's word. I didn't stop to listen too much when God said, you'll go face Caesar. You're going to go through this tramp plan and come out because I've got a plan for you. And here I am because his word prevails. His word prevails. 
You see, when you stop trusting God's word, hopelessness begins to flood in. That's what brings all the waves of the crashing sea into your boat, the lack of forgetting God's word and trusting in his word. That's when bitterness begins to rush in. Thoughts of failure and destruction, death start weighing down in your heart. You start suffocating every ounce of peace, hope, and joy in your life because you forget God's word. But I say to you this morning, let God's word be true in your heart today. And as you go through the troubled times you might be facing this morning, speak God's word to it and speak God's word to yourself. Know that God, the Bible says in Numbers 23 and 19, that he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. He speaks in a challenging way to us and asks us this very abrupt question. He says, does he speak and then not act? Is that how you know God? That he speaks and does nothing? That he's all lip service? Is that how you knew God? Does he promise and not fulfill? Do you, do you think that God is that way really? Do you think that way enough to forget God's word? Do you not know what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and 89? He said, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It stands firm forever. See, the Lord has trouble, ladies and gentlemen, with people that forget his word. Christians that forget. I don't know that God was very happy with me all these times that I was saying, well, you know, this is my last ride. I'm out of here. I don't know if he was happy with that. I'm very transparent with you. I, I, the way you know me on this pulpit is the way you know me in the street. And, and I'll testify to you exactly my feelings just for you to know that I'm just like you. That I seek God just like you. I pray to God just like you. I struggle. I, I fight in my daily walk just like you. I have a calling in my life to speak life through God's word. That may be the only difference that you and I have. I have a pulpit, but you also have a pulpit to be a witness to everyone around you in this world. But I'm transparent and I can tell you, I don't know if God was all that happy when I was speaking like that superhero. Oh, it's my time to go. And I'm wondering if while I'm expecting people to say like, wow, this guy is super brave, man. God's going, what a loser. You're forgetting my word. And God has trouble with people that forget his word. He wants you to remember his word, especially when your ship is rocking. Listen to what he writes in Psalm 78, what the psalmist writes in Psalm 78, 11. This will prove my point. We'll just start at verse 11. He said, they forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown him. The people of Israel were complaining, and they always complain. We find them complaining in the Old Testament, and we find the church complaining in the New Testament. We find the church complaining in 2021. Yes? Some of you won't admit it. I said, we find the church complaining in 2021. Even here at Rock of Asia, we find some of the church complaining, yes? It's a natural thing. You're not Superman, you know? Even Superman was afraid of kryptonite. And sometimes our kryptonite is a shaking boat. And so we complain, but just remember that God has trouble, and he, his heart 
breaks and hurts and sometimes he is riled up and getting upset because we forget his word. Let me continue reading again. Verse 11, they forgot what he had done and the wonders he had shown them. And we're told everything on verse 12 and on. He did miracles in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the region of Zon. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand firm like a wall. He guided them uh, with a cloud by day and with a light of fire by night. He split the rocks in the desert and gave them water as abundant as the sea. He brought streams out of the rocky crag and made water to flow down like rivers. They continued to sin, though, it says, against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. And if you keep reading, it mentions them saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? Can he supply meat for his people? On and on, just kind of badgering God and insulting him, forgetting what God said and everything God had done. It's a sad day, ladies and gentlemen, when the church forgets all that God said and all God has done. See, God is a God of miracles. And today I can tell you that from the youngest to the oldest, God has performed miracles in your life. Can you say amen? Anybody know what a miracle is? Hallelujah. When you thought you couldn't make it any longer, you're still here. God has raised you. When you said, we're not going to make it beyond this, uh, it may be a small or big, but it got you through. It's a miracle of the Lord. Hallelujah. He's done great things. And now your ship is rocking and you forget all that? You'll read further down at the end and you'll find it's saying the Lord got very angry. See, Paul had an anger. He had an anchor in his life and it was standing firm, believing and trusting and remembering always God's word. Let me just interject this because some of you need to hear this. You'll never know God's word until you read God's word. When was the last time some of you picked up the Bible? Some of you may not even own a Bible. Some of you are relying on the 30, 45, 50 minutes that I come up here and give you Bible and the big screens that you see. That's not enough. This is, these are just fringes. This is just snacks. You can't survive on snacks. Next time I see you and I greet you, you're going to say, Hey, Pastor, what snack are you going to give us today? But this is just a snack. I share with you the 30, 45 minutes, but you cannot just eat this one time during the week. You'll die. You can't just drink a little drink of water like you do on Sunday morning and then expect to survive in this heat all week. You'll die. You'll never learn God's word. You'll never retain God's word until you read God's word. So take out your Bibles. And I'll say to you as my brother up in Freeport, he's a pastor. He said this. And I'll blame it on him. He said, you don't have a Bible? And everybody expected to say, stay with me. We're going to get you all Bibles. He said, no, you don't have a Bible? Buy one. I'll give you a Bible. Because you'll just throw it away. Buy it so it'll cost you. And buy yourself a $1,000 one with a skin from wherever. But buy yourself a Bible. Yeah, he said, anybody need a Bible here? And, and, uh, 
He will buy one. <laughs> buy one. Why? Because we need God's word. We need to read God's word. It's when your ship is shaking and rolling around, the waves are crashing, that you need to stop and just begin to remember his word. No weapon forged against me will prosper. Lo, I am with you till the end of the age. I will sustain you with the righteousness and power of my right hand. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am thy God that healeth thee. And you begin to recite God's truth. And that anchor becomes firm. And regardless of how your world shakes, you will not be moved. Somebody say amen. Thank you, Jesus. And finally this morning, the anchor of God's providence. Providence is synonymous with destiny and fate. Our tomorrow or our end. What this means is that God is in control of not only today, but God is in control of tomorrow. Acts 27, in Paul's experience, verse 24 says, this is the angel of the Lord. And this is Paul reciting what he was told. He said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar God has graciously, graciously given you the lives of all who sail. So keep your courage, Paul says, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Paul, you listen, there's a rocky road up ahead. Uh, this is going to shake our boots. But don't be discouraged. We're going to hit the ground and we're going to hit it hard. But hang on. God's already there. At that shipwreck, God's already there. He's already in control of that tomorrow. We may not be able to control the storm that we're in. But we know that God's hand controls the storm that we're in. We might be able to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, but God knows exactly already what tomorrow is designed to bring us. We're going to run aground, but it's going to be okay. You see, when we see everything that's going on around us, you wonder if there's any escape. Who's going to change what we're in, the mess that we're in now? Who's going to change what's happening in the Middle East? Who's going to change what we're experiencing in our government today? Who's going to change that? I don't know who's going to change that. And we may hit the ground. This ship may wreck. Our nation may be shaken to its core. That It may be loosened at its trusses. and It may be. I don't know. But I can tell you this. That if it does run aground and its pillars are shaken, it's still going to be okay. Because God knows our tomorrow and he spoke of our tomorrow. He said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
You and I are overcomers at the end of this scene. You and I are going to prosper. And if it means going to heaven, we need no more prizes. We will receive the grand prize in glory with God. But it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I have found that sometimes being in the middle of the storm is the best place to be. Pastor, you're kidding me. Sometimes a storm is the best place to be if God puts you there. If the Lord is taking our nation through this storm and God put us there, this is the perfect time for us to be where we are at. A storm is nothing to fear if you know that God is orchestrating it because he loves you. The Bible says, therefore, all, all things work out for good. Amen. Everything will work out for good. Even this ugliness that we're going through is going to work out to the glory of the Lord. Whatever you might be going through today, as long as you know that God is orchestrating it, it's going to be okay. But pastor, I, I feel like I, I'm in a fiery furnace. No, no, no. You're just in God's oven. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a burning furnace. My ship. No, no. You're just in the oven. God's cooking you to his perfect delight. He's cooking you. To his perfect delight. He may go on occasion and go to the oven and go, get me out. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Help Jesus, get us out. Get us out, Lord. Hmm. Just a little bit more. He's always perfecting us. You know what I believe all of this thing that's going on is doing? Is perfecting the church. It's teaching the church to cry out for God. Part of the church is waking up. Even you are waking up. You're finding out that you're not calling out to man. Oh, help us. Oh, help us. This or the other. This man or this woman. This whatever can help. No, no. The church is starting. Stop calling man and start calling on to God. When the church begins to scream out to God openly for help, God will respond. You'll find that in Scripture all over the place. Whenever the Lord surrendered the Israelites into the Babylonians and they were kept in captivity, sometimes up to 70 years. 70 years. You know what that shows us? Well, that the church was long-lasting. No, no. That the church was 70 years stubborn. That it took 70 years for the people of God to finally cry. You'll find in the closing chapters of all the captivities. And the people cried out to God and God responded. Why didn't they cry out the first week? It could have been they were taken off the captivity for two days and they cried out and God delivered them. But 70 years. And I wonder sometimes how long. I was just asked the other day, Pastor, how long do you think all of this mess is? All this COVID thing and all this governmental thing and all this junk going on. How long is it going to take, Pastor? When is it going to be over? When we learn to cry out to God. When we learn to cry out to God.
The Lord, for all I know, could just be waiting, looking at us as a nation, looking at us as a world. And we're still trying to find political help. We're still trying to find this and the other. We're still trying to find military help. We're still trying to find all kinds of resources. Knock yourself out. He told the people of Israel, take another trip. And what could have been an 18-day walk took them 40 years. You get it? You understand it? So how long are we going to be in this shifting boat? Until you learn to cry out to him. Until you learn to call out to him. And God is looking at us going like, really, wow. You see, the church hasn't really ever cried out to me in the past hundred years. And now you see all this mess going on and look at them. They're still running around like chicken without heads in that ship, throwing things out, pulling out dinghies and screaming this and the other, taking soundings to see how deep they are, looking around and they see a, an island they can swim to, trying to find their own resources. Wow. But when the church bends its knee and it cries out to the only one who controls the storm, and the Bible says he will respond. Cry out to me, he said, and I will respond to you, and I'll show you things you never imagined. Cry out to me. See, God's in control. God knows exactly where we're headed, but in the process, he's perfecting us. We don't need to be afraid. People are living in so much fear today. You know, there are people who have never left their home since... They're still under the, the bed looking out. The boogeyman might get me. And again, I'm not making fun. It's a real thing to be afraid. It, it's a real terrible thing to be afraid. Their children are captive in this little room just looking out. You know how depressing? Did you know that, that, that the youth suicide has increased greatly? Because they're huddled up in a room at house. They can't meet fellowship with nothing. It's not enough to take them out to the store and drive around. They, they've got to fellowship and intercourse with people. But they're hurting. Have we forgotten God's word? It's going to be okay. Now, I'm not saying don't be careful. I'm not saying uh, just become frivolous and be flippant about what you do. No, I'm not saying. I've never said that and never will. You wear a mask. You watch, wash your hands. Use good hygiene. Wash your children's uh, hands and their face. And whenever you pick up something at the grocery store, be sure to clean it up well. Do what's right. But don't live in fear. You can't pray when you're afraid. All you do is complain. God, when? God, how? Lord, wouldn't you? We start complaining like God's people during, during the times of Gideon in Second Chronicles when he said, Lord, didn't you do this? Lord, didn't you do that? Lord, didn't you do this and the other? Aren't you going to do something now? Complaining instead of praying. You see, praying was designed for us to worship him and love him. There's a time for asking, a time for pleading. But most of it is, Lord, Father, I want to take time to just converse with you and love on you and tell you how awesome you are. But because of fear, we don't pray, we complain. Remember the providence of God. Never will I leave you or forsake you.
regardless of how bad your boat shakes, I will be here with you till the end of the age. I'm glad God walks with me. I'm glad he's with me. I'm glad that at night when I'm aching at my hips bad, I turn around and I kind of seem to begin to complain, but then I say, Lord, just lay with me, Father, and take a hold of my hips and bring healing to me, Father, please. I love you. I know you are the God that heals me. All of us need to trust in the Lord. Learn his word. Learn to live in heavenly company. Learn to believe and trust in his providence. God not only knows your past, not only is he here in your present, but he's already designed your future. Trust in him. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.